It's the September 27th, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting from KUCI, Studio A, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, a beacon of democracy in a dark age, Mahler, the fake news dog. Coming up, spider ballooning, Greta derangement syndrome, <laughs> quantum supremacy, Machu Picchu, and more. And more. But first, yes. do you play chess, Mike? I used to. Yeah. I played chess in a while. Are you I, any good? Uh, I was always uh, a bit... Defeated. Yes. Was not undefeated. Uh, I was <laughs> defeated. Yeah, kind of like me. <laughs> I had other interests. You know. I enjoyed playing. When I was part of chess club, I remember, in high school. Yeah. It was a good group. My fault in playing was I always tried to build these impenetrable walls of defense. Uh-huh. The problem with that strategy is eventually you have to start moving oh, your pieces. You're always on the defensive. I'm always on yeah. the defensive. I always like to strike. See, and this yeah. is it. Well, you can only defend for so long. At yeah. some point, you've got to be offensive in order yeah. to win. Exactly. And I was like trying to build this <laughs> impenetrable wall, and people just wipe me out. Yeah. I start moving <laughs> stuff around, yeah. and that was it. Rope-a-dope. <laughs> Rope-a-dope. Yeah. yeah. From ESPN, a chess player can burn up to 6,000 calories a day while playing in a tournament. That's three times what an average person consumes in a day. Wow. Based on breathing rates, which triple during competition, blood pressure, which elevates, and muscle contractions before, during, and after a major tournament, grandmasters' stress responses to chess are on a par with what elite athletes experience. Grandmasters sustained elevated blood pressure for hours. It's in the range found in competitive marathon runners. Good grief. Nowadays, chess tournament players are on strict food and fitness regimens to increase oxygen supply to the brain during tournaments, prevent sugar-related crashes, and sustain their energy. Yeah. You know, they used to be like wild party boys <laughs> oh, yeah. back in the 70s. Yes. Seriously. Yeah, there was a, yeah. Yeah, a couple of them that were kind of wild. Yeah. Men, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> But. India's first grandmaster, Vishwanathan Anand, does two hours of cardio each night to pump up his chest strength. <laughs> and also so he doesn't dream about chess, he says. Okay, Kinda to take his mind off. Yeah. Okay. And current world champion Magnus Carlsen also has an intense workout and has even optimized his sitting during tournaments. Optimized yeah. his sitting. Yeah. How do you Many know how chess you do? players crane their necks too far forward. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like you're doing right now. Yeah, I am. I'm yeah. leaning forward. Which can lead to a 25% loss of lung capacity. 25%. Yeah. yeah. Also, leaning 30 degrees forward increases stress on your neck by nearly 60 pounds. So you're getting like neck stress. You're leaning back. I'm leaning back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it can result in headaches, irregular breathing, and reduced oxygen to the brain. So sit up straight out there. Yes. Class, stop slouching. Boy. Don't lean forward. Yeah. Sit up straight, Mahler. Come on, Mahler. Come on, come on. Come on, Mahler. From Cosmos Magazine. The phenomena of spiders gliding through the air on the end of a length of spun silk has been reported for centuries. It's called ballooning spinning a tiny silk sail and jumping from a high platform. That's usually what you see. Until recently, it was believed that wind was needed for spiders to balloon. Now, however, a new report shows that naturally occurring electromagnetic fields can not only trigger ballooning, 
but also provide lift and velocity even without a breeze to glide on. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? It is very cool. Yeah. You're asking, how did they figure... Yeah. All right. You're asking, how did they figure that out? Mahler hates flying spiders. Sorry, just let Who you doesn't? Know. <laughs> you know, really, he's, he's minding his if, own business. If you know what's going on, yes. and, you can, and you can just watch instead of being yeah. clumped on by the spiders. <laughs> the atmospheric potential gradient, a global electromagnetic circuit between the Earth and the ionosphere, is ever-present around the world, but the strength of the atmospheric potential gradient can vary greatly. On a calm, clear day, it may reach 100 volts per meter, while in stormier conditions, it can increase by two orders of magnitude. So on stormy days, you got a lot of electricity in the air. The electric fields surrounding all of us can be detected by insects. Bumblebees, for example, use it to find their way to flowers. God, that's amazing. In the spider study, researchers created study fields of electromagnetic current inside sealed tanks so they wouldn't have any breeze at all. It would just be a dead zone for any sort of air motion. Then they threw in some baby spiders. And watched them fly. Uh, ballooning inside the tank increased significantly when the electromagnetic fields were switched on. They were thinking, all right, yeah, this is great. This is like a Disneyland for spiders right yeah. now. We're riding everything, yeah. There are days when many thousands of spiders take to the air in mass ballooning events and others when none balloon at all. The new findings suggest that this could be explained by fluctuations in the strength of atmospheric potential gradient. The findings may also help to predict when such events will occur in the future, not only in spiders, but also in other ballooning animals, including caterpillars and spider mites. I didn't know there was a whole fleet of ballooners. Well, you go to New Mexico in October and you yeah. see all, they're just balloons everywhere. Not that kind of balloon. Oh, that's that yeah. kind, okay. Uh, this could bring about a deeper understanding of population dynamics, species distributions, and ecological resistance. Wow. If this news makes you want a balloon, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because you're probably not a spider? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio at 88.9 FMKUCI.org. From Science Magazine. Water, liquid and frozen, occupies most of the Earth's surface, with oceans covering two-thirds of it and ice another tenth. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. According to a new UN report, all of this water stuff everywhere is being transformed by climate change, posing greater threats to life and human society than science had ever realized. We're in deep here. We are. The new UN special report stresses that the watery parts of the planet are already entering a new state. With the Arctic warming at double the global rate, Sea ice is in rapid decline, causing severe disruption to indigenous communities and wildlife. Permafrost is thawing, undermining infrastructure and releasing uncertain amounts of buried carbon. We've been talking about this for years, but now they find it's increasing even more than they thought it would be increasing. And none of the world's industrial nations are meeting even the Paris yeah. Climate Agreement yep. protocols. The ocean is warming at all depths. And heat waves increasingly strike the ocean's critters. They're down there. They don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the temperature is rising. Right. 
According to the report, there's no scenario, no scenario that stops sea level rise in this century. Without action, rare catastrophic storm surges will become common within 30 years. And there's nothing we can do about just the rise in general. What was once a 100-year event will be a yearly event by 2050. Wow. That's not that far off. No, it is. You think of it as far off, but it is not. Los Angeles and San Diego were cities named by the report that will be facing fast-moving sea-level danger. So I guess it's goodbye to the Newport Peninsula. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of peninsulas that are in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I just saw a documentary, Anthropocene, the Human Epoch, and there are species now in the world going into extinction at 10,000 times the natural rate to be extinct. 10,000 times. 10,000. Times more likely for extinction than they were in previous epochs. From a story in Vox by Steve Silberman, Greta Thunberg, you know about her, right? Yep. I like her a lot. She's an inspiration. I'll put it that way. For a crusty old guy, I am inspired by this. You're crusty? Well, I don't know if I'm crusty. Greta Thunberg became a climate activist, not in spite of her autism, but because of it. In August 2018, Thunberg became a one-woman student strike against climate change. This is back in 2018. I remember talking about this back then. Yeah. Because she was standing alone with a hand-lettered sign on the steps of the Parliament building in Stockholm for three weeks on her own. Thunberg and other youth organizers led over 4 million young people in over 150 countries in the global climate strike last Friday. It was likely the largest environmental protest in history, and they will march again today here on campus at 12.30 by the flagpoles in the bus loop at the school entrance. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, I do. For more information on that or any other place, go to globalclimatestrike.net. That's globalclimatestrike.net. With Thunberg, there's no nonsense, no vacuous chit-chat before getting to the point There is no more time for hand-waving, dithering, and compromise on climate. That kind of bluntness is the way many people on the autism spectrum act. Yeah. A few years ago, Thunberg's ascent to fame likely would have been framed as a story of an inspiring young girl overcoming her disability to become the leader of a worldwide movement. But Thunberg herself makes a different, more radical argument that she became an activist not in spite of her autism, but because of it. I see the world a bit different from another's perspective, she said. It's very common that people on the autism spectrum have a special interest. Thunberg discovered her special interest in climate change when she was nine years old, and she couldn't understand why everybody on the planet wasn't obsessed with preventing it, except Mike and Nathan. (laughs) Of course, I joke, but still... How long have we you know, really it, it, been on this? And yes, yeah, yes, it, it's frustrating, and I understand her frustration. A visceral feeling of repulsion toward deceit and hypocrisy is also common with people on the autistic spectrum. Thunberg has a pointed contempt for the professional propagandists and apologists who prop up the fossil fuel industry and discourage the development of renewable energy resources. Yeah, Yeah. sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. Many people with autism throughout history have been ignored and shunted to the margins of society and condemned as weird, insane, or worse. By the way, did you see that jackass that called her mentally retarded? I haven't seen it yet. I read about it. It's it's really just sad. 
Yeah. If retarded means slow and a little bit behind the curve, yeah. he's the one that's mentally retarded. Mm. What we call Greta derangement syndrome, yeah. spinning out of control because somebody younger than you is much smarter than you and much more attuned to what's going on in the world. <laughs> People like Greta Thunberg have a valuable insight because of their autism. It's a concept called neurodiversity, a word based on the concept of biodiversity, the fact that in communities of living things, diversity and difference means strength and resilience. So that means that mutts rule. They're neuroatypical. Yeah. Great minds, in other words, don't always think alike. Did you happen to hear her at the UN? I did. Yeah. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Yeah. What else do you need to say? I know, Mahler. You're, you're right. Again, join the global climate strike at UCI on campus at 12.30 by the flagpoles in the bus loop at the school entrance. For more information, go to globalclimatestrike.net. What a week, huh? I, I don't know what you say after that. Thank but you, I, Greta. I, yeah, Mahler. Yeah, Mahler. Thanks, thanks for that, too, Mahler. He also has a little bit to say at the end. He does. He's, he's productive. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. What is it now? Ah. You want another Trump story. <laughs> Not a week goes by. Without a Trump story. Yes. Okay. From Axios. Farmer subsidies from the Trump administration aimed at mitigating the effects of the U.S.-China trade war have reached $28 billion. That's about double the amount of money the government used to bail out Detroit automakers after the crash of 2008. Right. And the screaming cacophony from the Republicans over that bailout. Yeah. Yeah. The absolute, talk about Obama derangement syndrome. Yeah. That was the embodiment of it. <sighs> Trump's bailout still doesn't cover all of the farmers' losses. The government has provided $973 million in aid to Iowa farmers during a trade war that is estimated to have cost them $1.7 billion. Trump's trade war is stifling the U.S. and global economy, according to the International Monetary Fund. This is a concern. I don't know how much we want to talk about the impeachment today, but this is going to be distracting an already very distracted president from things that need to be taken care of. Yeah. And from the New York Times, governors, mayors, attorneys, general, state delegations, teachers, and pediatricians have flooded the Agriculture Department with comments that overwhelmingly oppose the Trump administration's proposed rule to limit eligibility for food stamps and cut millions from the program. The rule changes public comment period ended Monday with more than 75,000 comments logged, 70 from mayors, 17 from governors. 
Congressional delegations from Vermont, Maryland, and Maine also voiced opposition to changing eligibility rules for food stamps, but don't expect a miracle. Other proposed regulations from the Trump administration have moved forward even though there was similar opposition. For example, the Agriculture Department pushed through changes to the nutritional standards of school meals over the objections of more than 85,000 public commenters. They're lowering the standards for nutrition. Why would you do that? I don't know. And this is a program that is famous for being measured back in the Reagan administration on the Reagan administration's attempt to make ketchup a vegetable. Right. This is a program that, for whatever reason, the government can't seem to keep their hands off of in terms of letting professionals actually run the nutritional program for our children. I assume it's because they want to sell more sugar. Maybe so. And I don't. Yeah, I don't know crap. the motivation to try and nutritionally undernourish our children. Yeah. I don't understand that. Uh, I saw a Trump uh, supporter the other day. Is for what it's worth, he was wearing one of those red caps. Yes. And it said, "Make children weak again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Social service professionals are concerned about a ripple effect as families are pushed off the food stamp rolls. Children who live in households that receive food assistance are automatically eligible for free school meals. If Trump's new Make Children Weak Again rule is finalized, a lot of children would lose meals at home and at school. Yeah. So they lose this at both places. And that could impact other school services. School nutrition directors say if the number of children who are automatically eligible for free school meals decreases, their schools would, on paper, appear richer because the number of students identified as poor in the school would decrease. They're still poor. They're still poor. Yeah. They just won't be recognized at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so anyone got a gold toilet they'd like to donate to, Honestly, to school just when you, lunches? Every time we read a story about the programs coming from the Trump administration, you think there's a bottom, there's got to be a bottom to yeah. their neglect. You feel like there's no humanity involved in this. And I wonder if some of this has to do with the fact that the Trump administration wants to project that everything is better. More people working. They're, they're always constantly. Except in tr- California, of course. Yeah, they're trotting out all of these statistics. Maybe they're just evil people. I think to, so. to essentially yeah. recognize that there are more and more poor people in the country who are not getting proper nutrition. Trump's a wicked man. I'll tell you. Well, the hungry seek any food in sight, the greedy man seeks only appetite, as they say. Yes. The decrease would jeopardize school access to other social welfare programs, not only free school meals, but also educational resources that are tied to the number of children receiving those meals. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIradio.tumblr.com, on Twitter at KUCIFM, on Instagram at KUCIFM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to KUCI.org. You want to add anything about the... uh... Impeachment? Yeah. Actually, I would. Well, a couple of things. I do think that while we've been down this road before thinking this is going to undo Trump's iron fist of power, this is going to break up what he's been able to do and accomplish before. But I do think that this is qualitatively different in that there is a direct nexus between him, the phone call, 
and the attempt to pressure Ukraine. So his fingerprints are all over it. Bob Barr's fingerprints are all over it. That's a shocker to me is that Bob Barr is actually involved in this directly. And also that they moved this phone call to a server that's a top secret computer indicates to me that they know how bad it was before it got out. There's a lot of things about this where there's two or three smoking guns. And certainly the Democrats are pursuing impeachment now, and I think that they're going to try and get something done before Thanksgiving. In the meantime, the other investigations that are going on will continue, and they're starting to get information. They're starting to win some of these court cases. So by the beginning of next year, there will be an avalanche of information about the Trump corruption. This is about election manipulation. Right. He's returned to the scene of the crime with this one. And I do think you're absolutely right about this, that the fact that he made this phone call to the newly elected Ukrainian president, Zelensky, the day after Mueller testified, is the behavior of a man who thinks he got away with something and that he could do it again. Now, one quick thought about what this is going to do to Joe Biden. I think this is the beginning of the end of the Joe Biden candidacy for president because his son was on a board of a Ukrainian energy company, $600,000 a year. Fox News is going to beat this like it's a Clinton conspiracy till the day we die. It feels like garden variety corruption, that his son ends up on a Ukrainian energy board. And I don't know how he's going to explain it. Or it's just people know people. That's some of it. Oh, absolutely. But it's that culture of corruption. It's low-grade corruption, but it is corruption. And I think people are going to shy away from Biden because he's going to be tarred in a very broad brush. It happens in every occupation, that kind of corruption. Yes. Your your son's working for you. You know somebody, you get him a job. I get it. That's just the way it goes. I know, but I do think in the world where we're talking about a corrupt presidency, a massively corrupt presidency like Trump. Well, that's entirely different than what Trump did. It's a different form of corruption, and people don't understand that. Trump wants to run the country as a business. Mm -hmm. We knew that from the get-go. Jared Kushner was saying that we were the customers and they were the service providers. That's not the way this works. That's not the way a republic or a democracy work. We hired them. They are public servants. They do our bidding. And this is not a company. He is not the CEO, and we are not the employees. If you want to look at a country that way, there's a word for it. It's called fascism. Yeah, I agree. And that's the problem that people have in looking at this. A government cannot be run like a business. Otherwise, you have a dictatorship. That's been the big lie since Reagan. Yeah. We should run the country like a business. It's impossible if you're going to have a democracy and a republic and and have people represented. Right. I agree. Yeah. From Technology Review. Are we done now? Yeah. Okay. From Technology Review, an increasing number of countries are getting Putinized with coordinated social media manipulation campaigns. It's up to 70 in total now, up from 48 in 2018 and 28 in 2017, according to a report by researchers at Oxford University. The study includes political parties or government agencies using social media to shape public attitudes, but it also includes authoritarian regimes suppressing human rights or drowning out dissenting opinions. And there's a clear trend. Disinformation campaigns, where false information is spread deliberately to deceive, are growing in number. Facebook is the platform of choice for these campaigns, and seven nation-states are using information to influence other countries. There would be China, 
India, Iran, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. China is notable as an increasingly major player in the global disinformation order. Until the 2019 Hong Kong protest, Chinese propaganda was mostly confined to domestic platforms like Weibo and WeChat. It's now started aggressively using Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, which should worry democracies, the researchers said. Meanwhile, Moscow Mitch McConnell has consistently been against election uh, security measures from even being introduced in the Senate. This is the other side of this whole this is, you impeachment gotta, thing. You've got to have a player. Yeah. You've got to have a platform. You've got to have an audience. And yeah. Mitch McConnell's providing that. Yeah. Right? By, yeah. by his lack of action. This is the beauty. I don't want to get back into the impeachment. But in that it's about election tampering, yeah. it draws a lot of Republicans into this web. The Republicans seem hell-bent to rig the election. Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. Also from Technology Review in Digital Currency News, Intercontinental Exchange has finally opened the doors to its digital asset marketplace called BACKT, that's B-A-K-K-T, offering Bitcoin futures contracts. This is a big deal. It's kind of a sneaky big it deal. Is but it is a sneaky big deal. The launch which has been delayed for nearly nine months, is a big step toward mainstream use of digital assets. Bitcoin futures trading, which in the U.S. is regulated by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, may be more attractive to traditional financial institutions than investing directly in the asset. Investors can use futures to bet that the price will fall, an approach that can be used as a hedge. I don't like all this stuff. No. This is what I don't like about Bitcoin. Amen. The new contracts will be the first to be physically settled. That is, when a contract expires, the bet will be settled with Bitcoin. Crucial to Back's setup is its Bitcoin warehouse. That's where it stores all the digital coins. It's server. It's a digital. Let's yeah. make that clear. It's not an, a warehouse, you know, in, in, San in San Bernardino. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is a digital warehouse. Yeah. Okay. In fact, the launch's delay was in large part due to a drawn out discussion between Intercontinental Exchange and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission about how best to secure the network and server. Crypto assets pose unique challenges because ownership is tied to cryptographic keys and transactions are irreversible. So you want to get it right the first time. You, you, don't, you, you have don't, to get it right. You don't want to flub this one. No. When Intercontinental Exchange revealed its plans for BACT in August of 2018, it announced partnerships with Starbucks and Microsoft, among others, and promised an integrated platform. Of course, they're going to say integrated platform. Why don't they talk English? An integrated platform that enables consumers and institutions to buy, sell, store, and spend digital assets on a seamless global network. God, that sounds so great, Nathan. (laughs) Uh, Well, in other words, you can walk in with a card and just shift your money around. But all those phrases. Like a credit card, except it's an instantaneous, like giving cash. Yeah, I know, I know. This is the thing about Bitcoin, and all this stuff works on this idea that every transaction has a unique number and that it would be nearly impossible to crack that code. This is what they're saying is there are keys in every transaction that make it unique and that make it almost unbreakable. However, with the invention of supercomputers and now quantum computing, all of that is dependent upon a computer that can't catch up (laughs) or can't put enough information to figure out what that Bitcoin unique number is. 
we're rapidly approaching a point where that's not going to be possible. Now, they stressed that the platform would be regulated and transparent. Well, of course they did. What are they going to say? It's going to be, it's not going to be regulated no. and you won't be able to see anything going yeah. on. If you yeah. want to crack the code, come to our swap meet in yeah. uh, in Saugus and we'll tell you how to, you know, yeah. no, of course they're going to say that it's. BACT wants to make mainstream institutions less skeptical of digital assets. And it's betting that this will open the door for a much larger future marketplace for them. In other words, it wants to dominate the world with right. Bitcoin that's eventually one that serves consumers in addition to financial institutions. Somehow, some way. I know there are flaws in our monetary system. I yeah. realize that it's kind of antiquated in many yeah, ways. Yeah. However, this is much, much, much more treacherous and much yeah. more insecure yeah. than anything we <laughs> That's have. That's right, Mahler. Mahler agrees entirely. Oh. Ah, from the verge, Mahler. This, this ties in. Yes. Google says that it has achieved quantum supremacy a major milestone towards the development of quantum computers. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) The announcement came in a paper that was published on the NASA website before being pulled. Google's quantum computer was reportedly able to solve a calculation, proving the randomness of numbers produced by a random number generator. It solved that in 3 minutes and 20 seconds. That calculation would take the world's fastest traditional computer, Summit, about 10,000 years. 10,000 years down to 3 minutes. Once developed, the computers are expected to have huge implications for areas as diverse as cryptography, chemistry, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Cryptography ties us back in to the story about BACT. Yeah. Uh, the significance of Google's announcement was disputed by at least one competitor, IBM. Yes. IBM said Google's claim to achieve quantum supremacy is just plain wrong and that Google's system is a specialized piece of hardware designed to solve a single problem. Google's quantum computer, they say, falls short of being a general purpose computer, unlike IBM's own work. Now, in case you're wondering, quantum computing is all about qubits. They're the quantum bits. They're the basic units of information used by quantum computers. Unlike regular bits, which store data as ones and zeros, qubits take advantage of the quantum phenomena known as superposition. This means that they exist as ones and zeros at the same time. Like when you're flipping a coin and it's spinning in the air. It's one and a zero at the same time. This exponentially increases the amount of information you can process. A pair of qubits can embody four possible states. Heads or tails, or heads tails, or tails heads. <laughs> three qubits can embody eight. But 300 qubits, 300 qubits can embody more states than there are atoms in the universe. This is just, it yeah. is phenomenal. It's amazing. We've, yeah, for years we've been talking about the, the outer reaches of computing, where we get to a point where you can't go any faster, you can't compute any quicker, and then along comes something like this. It's yeah. exploding. Humana, humana, humana. Exactly <laughs> that. So I don't know what this means, except that at some point, this is an, a huge uptick for the ability of AI. Yeah. Thanks. And I hope that our computer overlords are kind to us. Yeah. I wish we would advance our ethics as yes. fast as Thank we you. could advance Thank you. our technology. Yes. From Science Daily, a geoarchaeological analysis suggests that Incas intentionally built Machu Picchu, as well as some of their other cities, in locations where a tectonic faults meet. 
They weren't afraid of earthquakes. They were not. They, they used them. Yes. Using a combination of satellite imagery and field measurements, the researchers mapped a dense web of intersecting fractures and faults beneath Machu Picchu. Because some of these faults are oriented northeast-southwest and others trend northwest and southeast, they collectively create an X-shape where they intersect beneath Machu Picchu, as well as other cities. The mapping suggests that Machu Picchu's urban sectors and surrounding agricultural fields, as well as individual buildings and stairs, are all oriented along the trends of these major faults. As master stoneworkers, the Incas took advantage of the abundant building materials in the fault zone. The intense fracturing there predisposed the rocks to breaking along these same planes of weakness, which greatly reduced the energy needed to carve them. It's wow. pretty fascinating. Wow. And they fit together. With, so there's no space between them. Yeah. It's just amazing what they did here and what the research found. In addition to helping shape individual stones, the fault network at Machu Picchu offered the Incas other advantages, like a ready source of water. Because there was Fishes. groundwater yeah. and fish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spaces. In construction of the sanctuary in such a high perch also had the benefit of isolating them from avalanches and landslides. Yeah. You're up that high, yeah. you're at the top. Yeah. What's going to fall on you? Right. The faults and fractures underlying Machu Picchu also helped drain the site during the intense rainstorms prevalent in the region. Talk about taking the natural environment yeah. and using it to your advantage. Taking lemons and, and making lemonade. Honestly, that is yeah. amazing. And finally, a 60-year-old Israeli woman went to an emergency room complaining of chest pain. Doctors found she was suffering from a wasabi-induced broken heart syndrome. Now, I know you like wasabi, Mike. I do. Did you ever have uh, broken heart syndrome? N no, but my eyeballs almost exploded one well, time. Well, that's part of, <laughs> yeah. part of broken heart syndrome. <laughs> yeah, well, broken heart syndrome is typically the result of sudden stress, like the death of a loved one, or intense fear in a situation. When my eyeballs were yeah. Yeah, about <laughs> to explode, <laughs> that was the definition of fear. Yeah. Doctors at Soroka University Medical Center in Beersheba say the woman had mistakenly consumed a teaspoon of wasabi at a wedding, thinking it was guacamole. <laughs> you can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now. <laughs> <laughs>